Okay. Good morning, everyone. Sometimes we can associate people with where we've been or where we've met them. All right. For instance, Sarah and I, I don't know where Sarah is, we quite often go out for coffee in Chertsey. All right, as we go up to Coffee and Churchy, there's this particular couple that we meet or see in Tia Maria. And if we see them somewhere else, we still associate them with Tia Maria. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And sometimes we, have, we know people that have nicknames. We, we associate them with a nickname. Have any of you got any nicknames that you would be bold enough to say here? No, I didn't think there would be that many. Uh, anybody? No. Okay. Grumpy. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Mick's here this morning. <laughs> it's grandfather. He's called Grumpy. Okay. Well, I, I thought, oh, well, okay. I'll go for this. I had three nicknames as I was growing up. Three nicknames. Um, the first one was Calamity Jane, which came, as you can think of, Calamity came from breaking lots of things. And... I remember when I was in school, we had these beautiful bulbs, beautiful lamps in this big hall, made of glass, PE lesson, straight at the bulb, shattered everywhere. The whole of the lesson, you know, had to stop, the place had to be clean, the caretaker called. That was the first one. The second one, along similar lines here, was Hercules. This was, when, this was when I was um, in secondary school. happened to be a very, very windy day. I went and I opened up one of these prefab doors and it came off in my hand. <laughs> I was left standing there with this door. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh. So a few of the boys, obviously, secondary school boys, got the name Hercules, Okay. And the third one was because my appearance at the time, I used to be quite ginger in colour, so I got ginge, which is quite common, so anybody who's got ginger hair knows that one, but ginge. So they were sort of my identities that I was known with at school, and, and Keith, you said I could say this, Keith's got the name Noddy. Anybody guess why he's got the name Noddy? Noddy Holder, Noddy Holder at the time. And also he, that was a slave group, and also he used to play football, so he was very good at nodding the ball, so they called him Noddy. Okay. So nicknames, our identity and things come from our nicknames and how people see us, which is not always good, really, sometimes. Now, we, as Andrew said, we're going to carry on our series to do with the fatherhood of God. Now, my, uh, first of all, I'm quite excited, because God has confirmed this word twice to me. And, it's, and I think the worship just confirmed it all. I thought, Lord, why do I have to preach? We've just sang all the words that I'm going about to say. Can't people just have that? Why do I have to come up here and preach? They're already there. But God gave Duncan yesterday at the prayer meeting a word, a picture. And the picture was of like the congregation. And over the congregation, it was like it was raining. But the rain was coloured rain. It was like a rainbow, okay? It was coloured rain. It was like a rainbow. And some reacted to it, and some people didn't, right? So some people reacted to it, some people didn't. And God was saying through this, that, saying, look at me and allow my Holy Spirit to work in you. 
all right, to hear my words, and the, and it's going to be that things and do things differently, all right, to do things differently. That was the first word. And then I was reminded when I was preparing this of when I was pregnant. I had this picture that I was trying to find, but I think my daughter's got it somewhere. She's nipped it, whipped it. Um, was of me when I was pregnant. Some of you might remember years ago when I was pregnant with Lizzie. I had these grey dungarees. I was massive. I was huge. And I felt God was saying, I'm going to be birthing new life in people. Um, where the chains that have held them and bound them are going to set them free today. So it's really exciting. That's not putting emphasis on what... Oh, Lord, I can't do it. But um, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to work. He's either going to touch you with your words or not. But just to say, let him touch you. Let that rain come on you. Now, we're going to be looking at the passage from Romans 8, verses 13 to 17. We obviously, Paul's right to the Romans. And it says... For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Steve, Steve shared about his experience with um, when he went to see Louis Palau and um, how he went to the meeting several times and nothing happened, and on the third or fourth time, he felt compelled to run forward. Right? He was being led by the Spirit. I'm saying he was probably the Spirit had been working on him before then, but he was led to move forward. In John 1 3, it, it says, um, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that, was, that has been made. Um, now, God is a father of all in the sense that he created us, yeah? But in John verse 12, it goes on to say, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right? Now, people like Steve became children, a child of God um, through faith in God's unique son, Jesus. All right? Being led by the Spirit was the hallmark of this relationship. But there are those who choose not to do that. There are people who decide, no, I don't want to do that as well, which is things. Now, in Romans, uh, back to Romans uh, 8, verse 15, it says, For you did not, note the words did not, receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received, like the words, but you received, but you receive the spirit of sonship. All right. Now, the spirit of sonship in James, in James Version, it says adoption. So it means the spirit of adoption. Now, somebody was, somewhere or I saw something that says adoption means dad opted for me. I thought that's quite encouraging. Dad opted for me, adoption. 
Now, Paul uses, when he's writing to the Romans, this adoption term to illustrate the amazing relationship and that we can have with God. So during Roman times, the normal practice for adoption was that the childless couples would adopt the son of a slave um, sort of within their estate. There was, um, and this would benefit them, benefit the, the son and also benefit the couple that were having it, having a child. Now, there were two main stages in this process of adoption. First of all, was the selling of the slave son to the adopting father. To do this, the slaves would be sold three times, of which two of those times, the adopted, two of the times, the, the natural father would buy them back. The third time, the natural father did not buy them back. All right? And that was deemed that the biological father had therefore had no more authority over the child. It came under the authority of the adopting father. Now, the sale was also endorsed before the magistrates, the Roman magistrates, and then the adoption was finalised. And this was done in front of seven witnesses, so that if anybody contested you know, if he had other children and they said, oh, no, he can't adopt something, these seven witnesses say, ah, we've seen it. You know, it's true, it's genuine. You know, he is a child of this um, father. Now, the adopted boy receives from his newfound status four things. The first, he lost all his identity with his his, um, father before, previous father. And he gained all the rights of the legitimate son in his new one. It was legally binding as well. He got a new dad. Secondly, it followed he became an heir to his new father's estate, even if there was other sons born. Thirdly, in the law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. Um, If there was any debts... They were sort of cancelled, completely gone. And fourthly, he was regarded as a new person entering a new life with a new name and he had a new freedom. Um, Even today, that principle applies. Reese, when he was adopted by Ros and Duncan, he was given their name, he had a new name. But also they had to issue a new birth certificate He had a new birth certificate. He had a new family, a new identity, and a new start. And in Reese's words to Ros one day, are you my forever mum? Okay, so yes, she said, I'm your forever mum. Okay, just as we are God's forever children. Now, Paul specifically describes the Holy Spirit as a spirit of adoption. Um... We might say that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the spiritual adoption in our hearts become a reality. The Holy Spirit has to make it a reality. It's the Holy Spirit who witnesses to our human spirits so to help us relate to him as Abba Father. All right, That's got to happen. In Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, 
born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We are full members of God's family. We're heirs with Christ. Okay, there's no arguing about that. However, many of us have not moved into that. All right? And this is where the Holy Spirit needs to touch us. We've not moved into the benefits of this adoption. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to help us move in this. So please be open to this. Some of the things I'm going to share fairly soon in the next part, it might touch people, it might make them feel quite vulnerable. But, you know, that's good in some ways. I've had to go through this, and that's, I've been quite vulnerable in this as well. So I'm hoping I'm not going to well up in tears as I do it as well. But anyway, the next part of that verse says, Ab, um, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is Aramaic for the word dear father. And it was used by the children in the first century at, the, at Palestine. And, and it's still the first word that many in the Middle East are taught. And if we think about it in the modern term, it means sort of like daddy, all right? And then, as we've already said, we found it twice in the Bible. And the third time it's used is when, is in Mark 14, 36, when, six, when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's crying out to God. Um, he sort of fell to the ground and he prayed, um, if it is God, if it was possible that the hour might pass for him, Abba Father, he says, he cries, Abba Father, all right, and he uses, he introduced that intimate way of addressing God. Nowhere in Jewish devotional literature is there a hint that Hebrews have felt so free to address, all right, I know Jesus was a Jew, but to address Jesus as Abba. So Paul's in trying to encourage Christians to think of God in this warm, affectionate way, confident of our welcome to him. As I was going through this, I felt I didn't know God as Abba. I must admit, I thought, I don't know him in that way. Not that real sense of really knowing him. Um, actually, I don't know how many of you feel the same sort of thing, that you could actually say daddy to him and go to him and approach him as daddy now mark stibby in the book i am your father brilliant book scary if you don't want to read it scary but very good it said believers come to know jesus and in that sense are saved and go to heaven but far too many don't really know god as our father bound by wounds they have suffered at the hands of their earthly fathers even the wound of indifference they find it difficult, if not impossible, to relate to God intimately as a child-father relationship. Consequently, many inside the church are in chains. They are prisoners to their past. They know they have been forgiven, but haven't really experienced true freedom. They have been pardoned legally and believe, but they haven't yet entered into full inheritance and started to live in glorious freedom of the children of God. 
part of our parenting course that we do at Helen Leeds is asking what we think a good parent or a, is and, and what the child would want. Now, I could ask you, what do you think makes a good parent? Just quickly, Dave, you're on the course. Give me something for a good parent. <laughs> Time, okay, time is important. Anybody else give me another one quickly? Listening, Listening. another one. Consistency. Consistency. Patience. Patience. Vision, did you say? Wisdom. Understanding. Understanding. Okay, that's just some of them. All right, there's others. They naturally uh, display affection. They give hugs and kisses. They praise. Um, um, They establish boundaries. You know, how far you can go, how far you can't go. They release hope and they give you a full potential. Um, And they don't try to live their dreams through you, is one that came through. They don't live their dreams through you. Obviously, a poor father is the complete opposite of all those things. I'm not going into what a poor father is. It stays the positive. Now, Mark Stibby and... I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, Paul Kasubiria, we'll call him, have identified 21 signs and symptoms which are indicators of an orphan heart. That orphan heart is what we feel when we're not in, moving on in God and know him really well. Now, those I think have come up on the back here. How many can you recognize in you? Okay. The symptoms, first of all, let me say, are internal clues. All right? If it was on a doctor, that might be like their aches and pains and things. They're the symptoms. And they're sort of feelings and attitudes that we might have. The signs, you could have a bloody nose, okay? So that's a sign. And it's the outward behavior pattern is the sign, all right? So the symptoms, abandonment, rejection, loneliness, hopelessness, worthlessness, sadness, insecurity, Hypersensitivity, fear, poverty, and striving. The signs, mistrust, hiding, superficiality, attachments, misinterpretation, manipulation, anger, selectivity, fantasy, independence, striving. As you see, striving comes into both of those. Now, as I was working through this, I realized there's quite a few of those I felt. But I felt God wanted me to share possibly two of them, depending on the time. I haven't checked the time. Um, now, the first one's a little bit close to home. Um, but and I'll try and do this in, in, as best as I can. Now, in my relationship with my dad, my own dad, that's not the heavenly dad, my biological dad, I found that it was really quite difficult. I found it really difficult communicating with him. All right? Uh, He was always busy, and uh, he was quite a quiet person. All right? But he was also quite authoritative. So it's quite scary to ask him things. So if I had a problem, I felt I couldn't go and talk to him. All right? I felt I couldn't share things. If something major happened in my life, there were two major things that happened to me, I couldn't go to my dad to tell him. I can't ever remember being praised. 
And I suppose I was always striving to please my mum or my dad. Right? Um, and I found that when my mum died, this actually became worse. Right? It became worse. And um, I don't ever remember hearing my dad say until the day he died that he loved me. So one of the things that I recognised on there for me was attachment. Okay, attachment. Now, attachment can also lead to addiction. All right? So, I've written this and I've got my eyes blurry now, so I can't read it, sorry. Um, Addiction... I'm saying attachment, addiction. Addiction, Attachment is what you get attached to. And the addiction means how you get hung into it a lot more. It becomes, you hand it over. It's almost addiction means you surrender to it, okay? Now, the reason attachments become addictions is because they have an alluring, anesthetic quality about them, all right? That alters your mood, um, and marks, sort of masks the pain that you're feeling at the time. They kind of become toxic, all right? They become toxic. If in, ex- in excess, they become toxic, okay? And they never satisfy a deep hunger in you. They never satisfy a deep hunger. And they often leave you feeling powerless, and eventually you hit rock bottom, now, my attachment, which kind of is heading and might be heading to an addiction, is for food. I, I like food, yes, but I got to the point where I was eating and hiding wrappers from Keith because of chocolate wrappers or anything because I didn't want him to know that I'd eaten them because he gets quite cross. You know, why'd you do that? What did you do that for? Why'd you do that? You know, and it, and also I got to the point where I was getting obsessive with diets. I was getting obsessive with my weight, the way I looked, my identity, everything. I wouldn't go places because I said I'm fat. I don't want to go because I don't feel good enough for that and things like that. It was becoming almost to an addiction, all right? So... I, as I said, I hit rock, rock bottom the other week and uh, um, I felt, oh, I've got to do something about this. But, and I know what I've got to do. I've got to stop looking at the food, stop going down that line, and I've got to start bringing the Holy Spirit and seeing his way of how he sees me. I mean, I know it. I know it up here. I've just gone through it. But taking it from here and putting it in here, and that's one of the hardest things to do. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Now, I've got up here, uh, the next slide is about addictions and um, attachments that lead to addictions. Now, there are five possible addictions. Substance, I mean, that can be things that are taken in through your mouth, veins and things like that. These are excessive, okay, excessive. You can drink, but, you know, obviously, this is, we're talking about excessive things that become addictions. Um, things like um, drugs, alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, and food. 
So that's the substance one. A behaviour addiction. Where, again, this is excessive. You may be one of those people that need to keep going out shopping all the time. Need to keep buying things. Need to feel, you know, all right, so excessive. Joyriding. Holidays. It's not wrong to go on holiday. Please don't get me wrong. But the holiday thing is where you want to use it as a form of escape all the time. Getting out there, escaping from things. Cleaning. Perfectionism. That's another one I could tick, actually, by the way. Um, gambling. All right. Sport. Some people get so wrapped up in sport that if it goes too far, it can become an addiction. Okay. And I'm not criticizing it. When I was looking at these, I was thinking, I don't want to think of anybody. Um, technology. Now, I think this is one that's actually growing quite a bit in our society. The excessive attachment to various interactive technologies, technologies such as computer games, virtual reality, internet, things like Facebook, Twitter, all those things, that you, but in the excessive amounts. You know whether or not you're excessive. You know whether or not your relationship with God, if you, do, if you would choose to do that rather than spend time with God as well, think about it. All right, ask God, is this an, um, something that's too much? People, excessive attachment to people, sex, you know, some people crave for that, romance, relationships, things like that, ideology, excessive attachment to philosophy, communism, feminism, occultism, consumerism, all those sorts of things, all right? The causes of addiction can be um, be many, but one of the major ones is love hunger, and specifically father hunger, separation from the fathers. All right, separation from the fathers. You might be able to relate to some of those, just as I could relate to quite a few of them. Um, and as I said before, how am I going to fill it? Um, how am I going to fill that need? All right. So, as we said, the Holy Spirit is critical in our relationship of our new identity and our status as adopted sons and daughters. Now, also another area that God showed me was that of striving. Striving is when we, are, we seek to earn love and acceptance and value through tire, working tirelessly to um, perform in one or more areas, okay? Um, it can... People can call it the performance trap almost. You know, you're performing. Some people might do it in sport. They want to be majorly good at things, so they really strive to do that in their work, for instance. And it's one of the most common signs and symptoms of the orphan heart. And it sort of describes inner feelings, and, and, but it shows itself as an outward way of life. Now, as a child, I used to always try and seek the approval of my dad. And my dad and my mum, actually. And I remember one year, I was coming up to about 15, I really, really worked hard at school. I mean really worked hard at school. I was not in the top sets. I was sort of in a middle, middle sort of set. I wasn't brilliant. Um, I had trouble learning to read when I was 10 and things, but I was in the middle set. And I worked hard. And I came home with a report which had 13 A's on it. 
13 A's. I thought, yes, this is good. <laughs> um, only to be told, don't tell your brother. Um, I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. And I suppose in me, I strive to do things, you know. I know that, it's like Keith, I said to him today, is this all right? Does this sound okay? And I was always striving to get his approval about what I was trying to do, okay? And, but as people were saying to me, just be yourself, just be who you are, okay? So how do we deal with these and all those other signs and symptoms of the orphan heart? How do we deal with them? Firstly, it's worth, I think it's important that you note that God doesn't deal with them always at a very quick rate and gets rid of them. All right? He does it gently because he knows you. He does it gently and he works through things gently for you. So don't think that, oh, it's nothing, it's happened to me. I've been praying for them. It's like a bit of an onion peel. You know, the layers you peel off an onion. He deals with them a little bit at a time because he knows you. You know, you formed in your, mother, in your mother's womb. And he knows how you struggle. Secondly, it's what, Jesus was also rejected. And he experienced separation, he experienced abandonment, he experienced shame, all on the cross. But he went through those so that we could have an intimate relationship with his father. And he says to us to call him Abba Father. He showed that intimate thing. He became an orphan so that we could and he, ex he became an orphan and experienced the orphan heart. He felt all those things so that we could be healed but also become co-heirs with him. Things that can help us. You've got to make a choice to deal with the things that God might have touched you with today. Deal with those things in your heart that you know stop you from entering into this deeper relationship. Okay? I had a picture um, when I was preparing this. It might be of somebody for somebody here. The picture was, I've had it before, and I've known that it hasn't been dealt with by somebody, but they might not be the same person, so please ignore the bit about the somebody, um, of a huge bin that you allow things to... You've kept and kept and kept and kept putting things deeper and deeper and deeper down. You keep pressing them down, almost like compost, you know. It's going down so far, it's starting to change, but it's so toxic down there. You kept putting it down and down and down, all right? And God wants you to start allowing him to take it out a bit at a time, you know, getting rid of it, you know, just get rid of it. So that's one. And the other one was I had a, like a, a geezer that somebody's, you know those geezers, that one in, I think it's Old Faithful in um, you know, America, where it suddenly all washes up and comes up. Some of you feel that you, you, you're holding on so tight to some things that you're just not allowing, you, or what's going to happen is you're going to whoosh up, all right, and it's going to come out. You know whether you're actually at that state where it's going to whoosh, all right, and um, I mean, Old Faithful's great, and it goes back in again, but, you know, let's let some of this whooshes out, shall we? <laughs> Release the pressure that you're holding down. Realise what adoption means. Sons of... 
you know, we're sons. The Holy Spirit's leading us. Realize what that is. Let it sink into you. You've got to also repent of those orphan tendencies. Don't let them stay there. You've got, you've got to say, I'm sorry, Lord, that I felt this and whatever. And you've also got to forgive. That's hard. That is really hard. Forgive those who've hurt you. All right? Unforgiveness is the primary obstacle of the freedom. Forgive them so your Heavenly Father can forgive you. All right? Now, forgiveness also means no longer seeking revenge. Um, No longer having that desire maybe to hit out and hurt the person, hurting your dad. It's to tear up all those IOUs, thinking your father owes you something. All right? It's tearing them all up. It's cancelling all the debts. <coughs> and the thing which, in some ways, I couldn't move on to until I shared this word was to cease to make any more negative t- statements about your fathers. I, had to, I need to use that to speak to you, but I know that I was speaking negativeness about my dad. I've got to sort of cease that. I've got to stop that. That's difficult. It is difficult because I still feel it, but it's difficult. But the Holy Spirit can help me in this one, okay? And I know I need, I know I need to do that. And our, Holy, our Heavenly Father has given us a spirit, a gift that we don't deserve. He's given us unconditional forgiveness. Freely we have received, freely gift.